everyone, and welcome back to the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Show. I am your host, Mike Mills, from the Book in the Territory Pro Wrestling Podcast, and I am joined, like I am, each and every week with my friend and my co-host, the great Brian Lass. Brian, this is a great episode that we're going to do today. How you doing, man? You feeling all right? I'm feeling good. Aloha. And yeah, like you said, business is about to pick up this week on Mid-South Wrestling. I've made a few comments the last few episodes how it's kind of... Not dry, but, you know, it's not, there's not a lot happening. And this week we're seeing a lot happening. And one of the big changes that you'll see from the previous three weeks to this show is the introduction finally to us here on this podcast of Cowboy Bill Watts in the color commentator chair. Yeah, and I don't want to spoil things for all of our great listeners out there who enjoy this show, but we're going to have some fun this week. Is that a safe assessment, Brian? Oh, yeah. There's, there's lots of things. People forgetting how to count. There's more <laughs> Paul Ellering looniness, Paul Ellering's more interaction between him and Reese Bowden, and uh, some really cool stuff. Watts is just on fire. I mean, he's so good. And you'll see why, yes. in my eyes, he may be the greatest wrestling color commentator of all time, although he's not really the color commentator. As you'll see, basically every match is this. And here we go with the match. I'm going to pass it over to the cowboy, Bill Watts. And then Bill Watts talks for the entire <laughs> match. Does not give Boyd a second to jump in. And then Boyd pitches to the commercial. I wish I could add something to that. Only thing I'll add is at the end is Boyd Pierce saying, all right, everybody, thanks for checking out Mid-South Rational and the Mid-South Wrestling Television Network, and uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that's what Boyd does this week. All right, everybody, I'm going to throw it over to our uh, our commentator, uh, Cowboy Bill Watts, and then he closes the show out <laughs> or commercials. There you go. He's got three parts to remember. <laughs> and you'll hear some of that audio here this week on the show because we have that highlighted to play for you. But I do think it's important to note as we uh, before we listen to the intro here, Mike, Boyd really is smooth on the mic. I mean, I know he has a, a bit of a different voice, and of course he's wearing the flashy outfits, but if you actually listen to him, he doesn't stutter step. He just gets through the points he has to hit. He's actually really efficient and really good at what he's doing. Yeah, he's just got that southern twang, I guess you you would call it, or you know, from from northerners. I, I don't I don't know if uh, northern for folks call it a twang. I mean, that's what I've always heard it uh, be described as someone who's from the south. But yeah, he doesn't stumble. It's just a twang that he has. That's all it is to it. We use twang in the northeast. I am happy to okay. let you know. And uh, <laughs> speaking of twang. Let's listen to the opening of this week's show so we hear from Boyd Pierce and he introduces the Cowboy Bill Watts and a little bit about what's coming up on this hour of Mid-South Wrestling. And welcome to this edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. I'm Boyd Pierce, your host, and I'm telling you we have a tremendous card this week. But I want to tell you the continuance of the $1,000 Persian Club contest between Precious Paul Ellering and the Iron Sheik. Ted DiBiase, the North American Heavyweight Champion, will wrestle. Bob Roop and Bob Orton Jr. will be in a tag team match. Ryan Blair takes on Paul Orndorff. And the dream match, you have just two weeks left to send in that dream match, the match that you, the fans, want to make. Send it to the television station in which you're watching this week's program. They'll forward it on to us. And the match with the largest number of votes will be the match you'll see the first week of taping in January. Remember, the American Dream Dusty Rhodes will be in the area. Andre the Giant, offense seeker, the Samoan Warriors will be coming off of their suspension. Ted DiBiase, you name it, send it to us. Our guest commentator of the week, always the expert, whether it's in the ring or out of the ring, the Oklahoma Stampeder, Cowboy Bill Watts. Well, I guess, boy, what you mean is I always have an opinion. It doesn't mean it's always right, and uh, probably a lot of times it's wrong, but uh, certainly I'm going to voice it. And, of course, things are hot and heavy uh, as 1981 rolls down and 1982 gets ready to kick off. And only two more weeks, like you said, and I was talking to Grizzly Smith, and the mail has been really heavy, and some of the matches... Uh, really show that the, the the fans there's certain things they want and this is the one time in two weeks they're going to get to be in Grizzly's shoes and make the match and uh, it should be an exciting thing like you said with Andre the Giant and Dusty Rhodes we have some exciting news about Dusty Rhodes some uh, a real thing great thing for Mid-South Sports and so without any further let's get to the matches in the ring right opening introduction Richard Bowden uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike. I don't think we got any more Dusty Rhodes news on this program, actually, <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it. No, there was uh, – no, I don't have anything in my notes. I think you're right there. Yeah, what, was, what were they going to tell us about Dusty? What was the big news? I think that one might have been an example where Watts was just filling in some time <laughs> on the audio, and I don't know if there was really anything other than that Dusty was coming, you know, in the coming weeks other than that. That's it. There was nothing else that I could think of. 
Now, you and I have been discussing this whole dream match situation for several weeks as they keep building it up and telling you to send your dream match to your local television station, and then they'll forward it to Mid-South Wrestling. When fans wrote letters to the WWF, they added their name to their merchandise catalog list, and they got catalogs. What was Mid-South Wrestling doing with this collection of addresses for people entering the dream match contest? I wish I could answer that. I really don't know uh, because there were certainly no catalogs that they were sending out back then. That's a good, uh, good, it's a good question. I just don't have an answer for you. Well, we'll talk more about the dream match, of course, in the weeks ahead. But, you know, Mike, we've had a few really slow matches, or I shouldn't even say that. I feel bad saying that, but matches that wouldn't exactly excite the average wrestling fan on the last several Mid South wrestling shows. Typically, they involve Brian Blair against you know anyone you th- tom renesto jr you know th- there's just a, a string of guys that are not exciting you right and this show starts with a similar match jerry novak of course the bounty hunter and rick ferreira versus mike george and carlos zapata now this is a weird match and this is a match that i think if it was on any of those previous episodes would be like ugh, what is going on here you know yeah. what makes this match good bill watts bill watts you're right. Bill Watts made this with his with his uh, with his audio during the match. I will 100 percent agree there. And Mike George, who we've talked about not really exciting us the previous several weeks, he actually gets a really nice pop from the fans. They're really into Mike George here. And, you know, one of the things noticeable is, of course, we've talked about last week how the crowd looked like it was thinning out. Well, this is worse because this was obviously taped right after that was taped. So the crowd is really starting to thin out, which Watts will have some words about later in the show. But the crowd that's there is really into Mike George. But let's listen to a little bit of this audio, Mike, of Bill Watts explaining why Mike George is teaming with Carlos Zapata and some just detail about this match, which actually makes you care about it. Called one man from each team. It's Rick Ferreira and Mike George. Here's Bill Watts. This wasn't originally signed to be this way. Uh, Mike George is not teamed with anybody except the Junkyard Dog. But the dog's been having some knee problems. Uh, no thanks to a couple of the opponents he's had in recent matches. You know, whenever you get titles like the dog has, all of a sudden he's got one half of the Mid-South Tag title along with Mike George. And then he beat the great Kabuki in New Orleans for the Louisiana title. It's almost like you become a magnet. You start really attracting the action, and Dog was attracting all the action uh, and, and was the real center of all the pressure to start with. Now with those titles, he's in a pressure cooker. And, of course, Mike George is teamed with Zapata. He didn't want to cancel the match. He wanted to go on with it, so he's out there against Rick Ferrara and big Jerry Novak. Mike George, who was very courageous in a tremendous main event here last week against Bob Root. You know, the credibility of the match because of the tremendous competition just shows what an awesome contender Bob Roop is. He's also an opportunist. Novak stepping in. He's a big, huge man. And, of course, Mike George with Zapata as his partner. Zapata is an unknown, but certainly he doesn't have the class as far as the wrestling on Mid-South to really become a backup man for Mike George. You know, you need to know who's on the other side. That's not taking anything away from Zapata. But there's just a tremendous difference. And so, and Mike, it's an unknown. And it's really like being out there on your own. And right now, Rick Ferrara and Jerry Novak have Mike tied in the ropes and are really taking it to him. And just like that, Watts explains why you should care. First of all, he puts over Jerry Novak. Oh, what a big guy. And then he explains, look, his usual partner was JYD. Zapata him. Don't have any chemistry. Zapata doesn't know what he's doing. But he doesn't really put anyone down he just explains the lay of the land yeah he does a good job of that and i mean you really needed that description especially for why jyd wasn't out there with him i mean if if because it it just it's just abnormal first off zapata i think it was last week or the week before was in the heel corner and he was a heel enhancement talent. Now he's flipped over to the other corner, and he's in there with Mike George. So he's he's tagging now with George, who normally doesn't tag with him. He's tagging normally with JYD. Watts really did a good job of wrapping that all up and summarizing it so that if you're a viewer at home, you can at least go, oh, okay, I get that. Exactly. And look, we saw that previously where the Monk and Carlos Zapata last week were 
against Orton and Orndorff. So two technically heel tag teams, but now here he is on this side. So yep. it's just it's just the way Mid-South Wrestling works. No one is yes. secure in their exact spot. Of course, this match, a uh, simple match. Again, Mike George really over with those fans that were still there. And he wins with a drop kick to Rick Ferrara, a drop kick finisher. And by the way, it was a good drop kick. For a big guy, he got up and he nailed Ferrara, which, you know, Watts must have loved that because he really liked his guys to lay it in. You made mention before you played the audio about the large number of people missing from the from the bleachers. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's what I was referring to. Well, we'll get into it later in this episode, but it was either last week or the week before I was referring to how that happened back then. And I remember, I think Watts, one of the reasons he closes the show the way he does this week is because that had been happening in previous tapings. It was like, okay, I'm starting to notice the the thinning of the crowd. So I got to make sure I make sure, you know, that going forward, these folks know you got to stick around to the end because something important may happen. We won't say what it is. We'll get to it later. But I just wanted to make that point as you talked about the crowd being so thin because it really was thin at this point. It's You can really see it. Excellent point. And, of course, it's also worth noting that they talk about JYD, Mike George's usual partner. They together are the Mid-South Wrestling Tag Team Champions not being in this match, citing knee problems, saying that he is both the Tag Team Champion and the Louisiana State Champion. But these knee problems are hurting him right now. That's interesting. Was that part of storyline? Did he actually get hurt earlier in the same show with the same set of tapings against Mike Boyer, who was his opponent the previous week? I don't know. I mean, we'll see how this turns out, but it may just be that he couldn't work this part of the taping. He was originally supposed to, but he had an issue earlier in the taping. We'll find out, I guess. Territory wrestling, but yeah, we'll find out. <laughs> uh, next, we recap some stuff from last week, Mike. Yeah, we recapped the Paul Ellering deal, and they recapped the Persian Club Challenge by Ellering when Ellering does 50 reps with the Persian Clubs and uh, the Iron Sheik does uh does 103 with the clubs and uh i think we then go to some audio from that point correct me if i'm wrong there that's what we're doing we're going to audio of now week two but obviously we know this was taped the same day as the other one which must have been a little weird for those fans the fact that this is all happening so quickly <laughs> kind of like a global force wrestling taping i guess is is it's almost the same thing as they do now right well let's not go crazy let's not well i mean i'm not comparing mid-south to global force you know no disrespect to our our your good friend and uh my new friend jim Cornette. but yeah you get but you get what i'm saying well, let's now go. We're going to go back to the announce desk where Watts and Boyd Pierce are going to explain a little bit what's going on. And then we're going to go into the ring. And I guess we'll take it from there. We'll talk on the other side. Of course, the rest is history. The Sheik did beat Frank Monty. But then this general, Skandar Akbar, apparently is not as confident of the Sheik's ability to do double the number or 100 repetitions with the Persian clubs. And he actually stalled out the remaining time, as you so avidly pointed out. But you're right, Grizzly Smith did book it back here and said the challenge has been issued. He's done 50 reps, so the Sheik has 100 reps to do, and they're in the ring waiting to finish the challenge for $1,000, which Akbar has personally doubled to $2,000. Let's see what happens. Let's go to the ring. So now we're in the ring. <laughs> and Ellering has this little dance that he did last week. I don't know if you picked up on this, Mike. Yes, it's so ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's like a guy trying as hard as he can to be a baby face, but he like he picks one arm up and then he does the other arm. But as he picks up each arm, he stomps around and he kind of dances. It's ridiculous. It's so utterly ridiculous. Oh, man, it's ridiculous, dude. I don't know. I, I can't add anything. It's It's just absurd. And as we hear, Watts is running away with the show. You know, basically, the previous match, I played the audio where Boyd goes, and now here's Bill Watts, and Bill just talked the rest of the match about whatever he wanted. And there were openings for Boyd to jump in. He didn't dare jump in <laughs> with the cowboy going. And, of course, they pitched to this. And now here we are in the ring once again. Paul Ellering with his Houston Astros socks, the Iron Sheik and General Skandar Akbar, the Persian clubs, and the always charismatic Reeser Bowden. Let's play some of this audio. Well, last week right here, you saw Precious Paul Ellering take up the challenge of the Iron Sheik on the Iranian club exercise. And he did... Let it never be known that the general is a welcher. As promised, 
We'll show you what a real man can do with the Persian clubs. Well, precious Paul Ellering did 50 repetitions, so now it's up to the Iron Sheik to do 100 or more. So count along with me, fans, and let's see if the Iron Sheik can do that. All right, hold on. I got to stop it here. Count along with me, and let's see if the Iron Sheik can do that. So, again, the whole thing is Ellering did 50 the week before. The Iron Sheik has said he could do double what anyone could do. So now he owes the people a hundred to show that he could do double what Paul Ellering does. The man in charge of the counting is Reeser Bowden, (laughs) a studio announcer, someone who's very professional, very poised, never gets rattled, always matter of fact, here's what's going on. He's in charge of the counting, Mike. Yeah, just keep that in mind as you play the next segment of the audio. I want the uh, listeners out there to make sure you're counting along to know where we're going with this. (laughs) Getting set now, and here he goes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 2, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 7, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 5, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, 54, 55, 56, 57, 58, 59, 60, 61, 62, 3, 4, 5, 56, 57, 58, 59, 60, 61, 62, 63, 64, 65, 66, 68, 69, 70, 71, 72, 73, 74, 75, 76, 77, 78, 9, 80, 81, 82, 83, 84, 5, 86, 87, 88, 89, 90, 91, 92, 93, 94, 95, 6, 97, 98, 99, 100, 102, 1. And he did. Then he just, like, loses. After 100, it's just, like, 102, 1. Like, I don't know what he's doing there, but real quick, <laughs> let's just play the moment where Reeser Bowden forgets exactly where he's counting in the 60s. <laughs> So here's the poor Iron Sheik, the heel. He's trying to do this, and Reeser Bowden can't count. Right. <laughs> Which is ridiculous. Uh, let's go to this. 51, 52, 53, 54, 55, 56, 57, 58, 59, 60, 61, 62, 3, 4, 5, 56, 57, 58, 59, 60, 61, 60. So there it is. He repeated. He cheated him out of 10. <laughs> he, he, so he actually did 113 or 112. Yeah. 112 <laughs> or 30. I mean, I actually think he did 112 because he technically did 100. But Reese Bowden just went 100, 102, 1. I mean, I don't, I don't know how that is the count. But the poor Iron Sheik, the heel, ended up actually doing this and completing it. Yeah. And I kind of remember watching this as a kid. And this is a long time ago, obviously, so I don't remember hearing Reeser lose count. But I do remember watching this going, he's really going to count all of those. Like, it's just sitting on my the floor in front of the black and white TV in my mom's house. And I'm like, oh, he's, he's really going to count it all. And, you know, I don't know if I realized Reeser was you know had the personality of a sheetrock wall back then but but it's just to hear Reeser Bowden count this down or up was just immaculate and then to go back and watch it now all these years later and and notice the moment he misses count or loses count it was just so much fun to watch good old Reeser (laughs) I don't know why Uh, his method was all of a sudden he went 61, 62, 3, 4, 5, 58, 50. Uh, he, just, he just stopped saying the actual like, you know, number it's supposed to be and just started saying the single numbers. I don't know. I couldn't answer that. I, I'd love to know if uh, what was going through uh, Reeser's, Reeser's mind at this time. Mr. Personality, Reeser Bowden. Well, it's hard to know what's going through a complex mind like Reeser Bowden's, but what we do know is what was going through Precious Paul Ellering's mind as he stood in the ring and watched the Iron Sheik do this, watched him at least double what he did 
although actually he did 12 more than he did. So let's hear Precious Paul reuniting with his pal Reeser to discuss what's going on while the Iron Sheik and Skander Akbar are standing there. He did 103, so there you have it. Precious Paul Ellering has been defeated with that Persian club exercise. You know something, Reeser? Last week, Precious Paul did 50, right? Right. And this is this week, right? Right. And Precious <laughs> Paul has made a lot of people happy in a week, right? Well, I don't know now. Can you dig it, though? <laughs> the Sheik did 103. All right. Last week was last week. This week is this week. Precious Paul wants to do him again this week. Well, that would be up to General Skandor Akbar to... Let's hear what Blender Brain has to say. Blender Brain. <laughs> it's so hard to keep a straight face listening to that. No, I popped when he was just like, and he did it right, right. Right. <laughs> you know, so invested in this. <laughs> right. Uh, oh, man. I, I'm trying not to pop because I don't want my, my laughing to over, you know, kill the audio that we're listening to because it's so great. But, oh, my God. And then he hits the blender brain line where the crowd, this this very small crowd at this point, pops on. Oh, boy. Good. <laughs> this whole segment, man, is giving me far too much laughter right now. By the way, what does that mean? What is a blender brain? Does that mean your brain has been put in a blender? And, you know, mashed up? Uh, I guess kind of like, uh, you know, scrambled eggs brain or, uh, you know, something like that. Yeah, where you're pretty much just all confused and you're pretty – you're calling someone stupid. But I, blender brain would be the first time I've heard it described that way. Blender brain? Like, How could you take anyone seriously if they call you that? It's the way he delivers it. Yes, you're right. Blender brain. I mean – Right. It's just every it's so ridiculous. Ellering so ridiculous right here. Well, let's uh, now hear how Blender Brain himself, General Skandar Akbar, and the Iron Sheik respond to this turn of events. Well, there you have it. He's issued another challenge. He wants he's mad enough. It's all right with me. Okay. Let's see how many you can do this week. So now we're gonna have Reese counting again. This is the third time in two weeks that Reeser Bowden has just counted on live TV. Not live TV, but has just counted on television in front of an audience. I'm sure when Reeser Bowden, you know, fig- got into television, the one thing he didn't figure he'd be doing is counting to 50 or 100 multiple times in multiple weeks on TV. No, I'm fairly <laughs> sure that that's not what he wanted, but let's skip right. his counting. That's what I'm trying to uh, to get to here. Let's skip <laughs> the uh, second batch of counting to 50 to actually see what happens here. This is the end of Paul Ellering's attempt to defeat the 103 or legitimately 113, or I guess 112, actually, that the Iron yes. Sheik did with the Persian clubs. Here's what happens. 45, 46, 47, 48, 49. 50, 51, 52. Boy, Pierce, the Iron Sheik had just broke in as Paul Erling was going up over the bark, which was going to force him to have to do over 100. And the Iron Sheik is just Pearl Harvard, the precious one. It's about the same type of tactics as the Khomeini and the embassy. Without warning, they struck... A defenseless person at the time. The crowd is shouting, USA, USA. The Sheik puts a camel clutch on Precious Ellering with Akbar in there with the flag. Jack out trying to come to the aid. Thrown out on the floor. The Sheik's got the Precious one at his mercy. Okay. <laughs> so here we are in the ring. The Iron Sheik attacks Paul Ellering in the middle of the Persian Club Challenge, and then he puts him in the camel clutch after beating him around. But... This is the first we get, Mike, of political Bill Watts. Yes. Who's who's awesome. Whether you agree with him or not, it's the way he just slides that stuff into the wrestling show that's amazing. Yeah, and he's going to do it more, obviously, in the years to come. But this whole – that when he threw that line out, Iron Sheik just – 
Pearl Harbor, Paul Ellering. I can't do a Bill Watts verse at all, but a uh, voice at all. But I was like, oh my, yeah, here we go. It's it's it, it, Watts is in the house and just get used to it because he loves the political uh, political jabs and whatnot on his commentary. Well, it's not just that. I mean, the Pearl Harbor thing was like, okay, well, there's that. But that was commonly said back then in wrestling. I mean, that's Gor- true. Gorilla that's Monsoon true. had seven Pearl Harbors per every three hour broadcast. But it's the detail he goes into because it's easy to say, and the Iron Sheik got him from behind, just like what happened at the embassy. But then Watts just keeps adding some details. Real quick, let's just play that one part again. Lord Pierce, the Iron Sheik had just broke in as Paul Erling was going up over the bark, which was going to force him to have to do over a hundred. The Iron Sheik is just Pearl Harbor. The precious one is about the same type of tactics as the Khomeini and the embassy. Without warning, they struck a defenseless person at the time. The crowd is shouting. Without warning, struck. I mean, just the detail he goes into is amazing. It's an act of war. It's like the Khomeini and the embassy. It's just... It's just... <laughs> It's, it gets so much better when the Russians come into the territory. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I was thinking when you said that. I was like, because we're going to get into it, obviously, in a, in, a, in a little while. Not a little while, but, you know, down the line where he starts talking about the Russians. And then I don't want to say who it is that that turns and, you know, he comes in. He, he's, a, he's a baby face. And then he turns and becomes a, a, a Russian sympathizer. And, and Watts is losing his, losing his stuff on commentary when that goes down. It, 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 this is Watts, and this is what made him really. You know, we talked earlier about what makes him good, but yeah, this was one of those things where he would do this on commentary, and it really tied in real life to wrestling, and and drew the drew you in as a viewer to where you're like, okay, that actually happened. So, you know, that's one of the things that maybe could draw in a casual viewer back then, if you know what I mean. I mean, it, it's just it it really made the product that much better. That that commentary right there, what he gave. Well, you know, one of the things they say is the Iron Sheik was a former bodyguard for Khomeini. Of course, that's not true. The Iron Sheik was actually a bodyguard for the Shah of Iran, who was, of course, thrown out when Khomeini rose to power. And (laughs) it's just saying that is trying to just embed in the heads of anyone who lives in your territory, who is following the news in any kind of way. Okay, the Iron Sheik has a relationship with Khomeini. Hate him right. more, which is a dangerous thing to have happen in the Mid-South area. Hate him more. Bring more switchblades to the arena. Right. <laughs> more blades, more anything you can use to harm this man. That's exactly what you needed in the Mid-South territory where, where it was hot and the heat was there. There have been lots of little things in the stories the last few weeks on the show, but this Ellering Iron Sheik feud is the first thing that's really kind of been held over on TV from one week to another and is being played out on TV pretty quickly. What are your thoughts on this whole little two-week program so far? Yeah, you know what? It added something to it that was episodic to what we have been talking about on the show. And there's actually something that's going to happen, too, in the next match that I didn't realize it as we reviewed the last couple of weeks. But I kind of realize now why they did something with uh, Brian Blair. But to go back to the point of uh, Ellering, yeah, this whole thing, it added an episodic you know, feel, not only a feel, but it, it added, you know, one of the things that makes wrestling so great is the episodic nature of it, or at least that's what I loved about it in the territories and whatnot. And I don't know if we get that as much now, but yeah, that that's exactly what this did. It, it drew it out over a course of a few weeks and you had to see it play and you had to see, you know, you had to tune in weekly to see how this would end. And, you know, say what you will about this little quote unquote feud with the person club challenge. And if you think it's good or kind of hokey or cheesy, but you know, I like it. It was entertaining. You know, Ellering was just a God. I mean, you've heard the audio. I don't don't know how to even put it now. He's just crazy. Um, You know, hot dog. Can you dig it? I mean, it's just so many little lines and little just things that he said along the way. It was just entertaining. And I thought, lovely lady, lady. (laughs) can you dig it? I can. Reese Bowden, you know, I mean, it's just like (laughs) one thing after another. But yeah, this was good. You know, you did this over the course of a few weeks and it was it was cool. And, you know, and not to spoil things, but there's there's more coming with it as well later on in this hour. The land of the free and the home of the footlong hot dog. And I said, lovely lady, lovely lady. Like, it's just so ridiculous. It does make me want to see more babyface Paul Ellering 
somewhere, <laughs> but there really isn't a treasure trove anywhere. And quite frankly, it probably wouldn't have been good if it had happened of long run baby face Paul Ellering. But that was that imitation you just did was so ridiculously good. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, thank you. Can you dig it? I can. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) all right. Well, you brought it up and you're really right. There was things that have happened the last few weeks. Again, these were kind of the minor storylines. Not that they were minor, but it was just little things that happened that now built up to this moment, which is really all about Bill Watts being there to explain exactly what's happening. You brought up Brian Blair and he's who we see in this next match. Yeah, you know, we got Paul Orndorff here, and again, he's got OP on his trunks again, and Brian Blair, who, correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, but I didn't see a jacket on Brian Blair. Maybe he had already taken it off when the camera shot to him on this particular match, but you know, he had, he had kind of had a, a weird jacket on in the previous week or week before that. And, you know, Watts is, to me, Watts is, still, is good on commentary here again. He's he's talking, notice, notice here, he's talking about Persian club challenge and what we just saw. And he's kind of planting the seeds that what we saw isn't really over. He doesn't, he didn't give anything away, but to me, I felt like there were some seeds planted. I don't, did you catch that at all? Well, the one interesting thing is, and again, this goes into Bill Watts's entire thing about making sure everything is logical, making sure everything makes sense. That if you stopped and you thought about it, there weren't any holes in the story. And if you were sitting at home and you said, Man, the Iron Sheik just attacked Precious Paul in the middle of the Persian Club Challenge. Why doesn't Mid-South Wrestling fire him or fine him or suspend him or something? Well, rather briefly here at the beginning of this match, Bill Watts addresses that, and it's brilliant. And here's what he has to say. Contest for the Persian Clubs remains unresolved at this point. It was not an official match, so I don't think Grizzly Smith can sanction a fine. Boom, right there. Just a simple Perfect. little detail. I mean, just it's so simple, makes complete sense. It's during the next match, but if you're still thinking about that previous segment before the commercial break, like, oh, you know, if you if you if you're raised on wrestling where I hate to use the word authority figures because it's been ruined, but where the sanctioning body, where the organization actually has rules and enforces them and things make sense, that little comment goes a long way. Yeah, it's just a quick soundbite, a quick snippet as this next match with Orndorf and Brian Blair is kicking off. And it makes sense. It ties it together. I, I, it's perfect. It's it's exactly what you needed right there. And he didn't, I mean, what did it take? 10 seconds for him to deliver that? That was it. Yeah, it was less than that. It was about five seconds, but yeah, it tells the whole story. But here we are now. This is happening during Brian Blair versus Paul Orndorf, a battle of Tampa in Mid-South Wrestling. Talk a little bit about this match, Mike. You know, once again, for people who think that during this time period, all guys did back then was grab a hold and lay on the mat or punch or kick, go watch this match. I mean, I'm not saying, again, this isn't Flair and Steamboat, but there's a lot of arm drags, some big slams, various other nice moves tied together. You're doing a little running. Just that was my feeling as I watched this develop you know before we before we got to the close of it I, I, w- did you kind of catch the same thing or or what i thought it was great i mean it was a back and forth and there was a lot of you know they were working their moves they were working their holes yeah. i should say i mean you know it was just it was a lot of fun watching it it was actually a match i think if a match like this took place on an indie show now people would probably like it because so many people are into the grappling and the british style not that they're working the british style here but they're working holds and yeah. the match is fast-paced, and the match is back and forth, and it's really good. I mean, Orndorff's just nonstop motion yeah. during his run, you know, for the most part. And it's really good to hear him. Brian Blair's really good, and he gets the crowd into it. And this was, I thought, a great match. I agree. I mean, it, it was it was solid. I mean, it's not a 15-minute long match, but again, you got a, you got one hour of TV back then, 42, 43, 44 minutes with commercials. This was solid, man. This was good stuff from Orndorff and Blair here. A definite change from kind of what we've seen from Blair in the, in the last few weeks, I should say. I mean, there was one match where I think it was a couple weeks back. <laughs> they just went off air with no resolution. It was a tag match that I think Blair was in. So, yeah, they just far cry from that. This was very good, good match, solid match here. And I, I actually I like the audio at the end of it, too. Well, we'll get to that in one second. But I think we have to explain a little bit about what you said earlier, 
which is there was something that happened with Brian Blair the previous week that we didn't exactly understand, but they started making it make sense here because, again, the bigger feud is Orndorff with Roop against DiBiase for the North American title around that figure four leg lock, which is Ted DiBiase's signature move here because Roop and Orndorff have developed a counter, which is the simple counter you've all seen for everyone that's ever done a figure four where you just roll it over so that it allegedly reverses the pressure on the knees Brian Blair won his match the previous week with the figure four, and you and I were both like, what's that about? DiBiase's doing right. it. Orndorff's doing it. Well, now you get to see it in this match because he puts the figure four on Orndorff, and it's Orndorff's reversal, which causes Blair to eventually give up, or not even give up, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But much like the last time this happened with DiBiase, I think, I'll say to you the same thing I said last time. They should have planned out one thing better. Blair was very close to the ropes. Oh, he was too close. He could have grabbed the rope at any time <laughs> and just gotten yeah. out of this. Yeah, that that was one of those things where that's again, that's what that is definitely one of those things where if that happens today, people would be crapping all over it because he was he was I mean, he was way too close. And uh, did you catch how they tried to, like, make it look like he wasn't close where they kind of shifted sideways where yeah. he was in long ways with the ropes? But even then, he that was the only that was the only thing bad with this. He was just way too close to the ropes. I mean, he could have grabbed the ropes with. He didn't, have to, he didn't even have to extend his arm to grab it if he really wanted to. He could have bit the rope. I mean, yeah. quite frankly, <laughs> I mean, he could have gotten out of this painful maneuver at any point. Of course, Bob Roop at ringside, he's coaching Paul Orndorff in this quest to defeat the figure four, defeat Ted DiBiase, get the North American title. But you mentioned there's some interesting audio, and there is. I said that Blair gave up. He actually didn't give up. And we'll have an explanation to what happened from the referees. The referee for the match was Alfred Neely, but another official, Jack Howe, comes to ringside. And let's pick up the audio right here. With Jack Howe. Hey, we'll wave at Jack Howe. Maybe we get Jack Howe over here, boy. Nasty. Jack, the ruling, please. The referee would like to make it plain that Brian Blair did not give up in this particular instance. He was afraid of further injury to Brian and therefore called the match himself. There you have it, Bill. Brian Blair did not give up, but referee using his own discretion. It's a judgment call, and i got to say it's sad for Brian Blair, but from the position of things and the amount of time remaining, I'm saying they made the right call. And he could have saved that leg. We'll be back. North American Heavyweight Champion Ted DiBiase in action after this word from Mid-South Wrestling. That is so good because what they do, not that they had major plans for Brian Blair, but he doesn't look weak for the way that went down. Because the referee says we stopped it, and then Watts puts him on like, you know, well, you know, I think that was the right call. You, it's like you're peering at my notes right now. That's exactly what I have. Because he's your baby face, and it's not like you had big plans for him, but that's how you keep him strong at the same time he lost. It, it, he never gave up, but we stopped it to avoid further injury. I, I, that, you can't do it any better than that. You certainly can't. And again, this all plays into the bigger story, which is the figure four. We're not there for the resolution yet, but the story's now starting to pick up. Bill Watts being there is really helping pick things up for this DiBiase Orndorf slash Roop feud. And speaking of DiBiase, we see him in the next match, Mike. It's Ted DiBiase versus Mike Boyer, who you were such a Mike. big fan of previously. Good, good old Mike Boyer looking like Frankenstein out there with that nice uh, hairdo. It's just looking like this match was insane. Um, there was a I, I know we got some audio to play from it. I think we got some audio. I may be wrong, but there was a sequence in this match where Boyer appeared to try to give DiBiase a snapmare. And DiBiase wouldn't go. And DiBiase proceeds to then turn things around. And he lays in the, some shots in the Boyer. And they are laying it into each other and in the corner prior to then a backdrop that, you know, on the Boyer, and then a power slam that really looked bad. And then DiBiase doing a figure four. And hopefully I didn't get ahead of myself because I know we had, like I said, I think we got some audio here, but they were laying it into each other at one point. I don't know what was going on there, but it just made me think. Something didn't go right here that may – it just felt like watching this. DB, something didn't go right there, and DiBiase wasn't happy. Uh, did you catch any of that? It was an awkward match. It really was. And, again, important to note, we don't know. I'm just speculating. But Boyer worked with JYD earlier in this taping 
And then next thing you know, they're announcing JYD injured his knee and he's not out there. I'm not saying that has anything to do with it. I'm just saying, I wonder if maybe there was something there, but yeah, this match was, it was, it was awkward at times. Yeah, it really, it really, it, it, there was, you definitely got the feeling something was strange going on. And again, we don't know what that was, but there was, it was weird. It, it had an awkward feel to it. Well, let's go to some audio now from this match. And of course, if we're going to audio from the match, it's going to be the cowboy, Bill Watts. Let's hear what he has to say. I want to say one thing during the commercial break. One of the first people to young Brian Blair to see about him was Ted DiBiase. Because I'm sure that he could relate better to the pain Brian Blair was in than any of us. Brian Blair, a courageous man. He never did give up. Referee's decision, a judgment call. I have to say that in essence of the time left and the position Brian Blair was in, that it was a proper call. Of course, Brian Blair having a fighting spirit hated to have the match go on a record book, but it is a win for Paul Orndorff. And as Orndorff was leaving, he was hollering, "What? look at that, DBS, look at that. DBS, he has to now wonder, with a man having a way of countering his famous figure four leg lock, you know, that's like having a home run ball. Anytime you're in trouble, you had that knockout punch or that home run situation or that breakaway touchdown in that figure four leg lock. And now somebody has come along with a method of neutralizing it. Ted DiBiase has to feel that it could put the North American title in severe jeopardy. And I wonder who is jeopardizing it most, Boyd Pierce. Paul Orndorff, the man that's doing it, or the man that's sitting by, that's devised the counter, the man who is coaching Orndorff, Bob Roop, a man who's shown his treachery and his, but also his tenacious and his toughness and his ability to be quite an opportunist and strike at any weakness or any time that an opponent is in a jeopardy position. Maybe he's laying back and let DBS and Orndorff tear each other's legs down and he can walk in and capitalize. So it all uh, it gets really into the chest part or the middle part, the part that Ernie Ladd was so adept at doing and putting the pressure on the opponent. Some great moves out here between Mike Boyer and the North American champion, Ted DiBiase. Mentioning Ernie Ladd, I'm sure he's chafing at the bit for the Samo- Samoans' offensive for the suspension to be lifted January 1. We haven't heard, according to Grizzly Smith, from him. We don't know if they're going to return to Mid-South. Uh, we don't know if they return to Mid-South, if Ernie Ladd will be their financial advisor. Ernie Ladd has lost his meal ticket. Of course, his... Meal ticket, as he says, has always been himself, 6'9", 320, and he certainly is capable. But he's kind of made a low profile recently. Wow, they're sounding off out there. Well, I played a little bit more than I was going to because I wanted to get that Ernie Ladd stuff in, but let's talk first about just how amazingly Watts is putting everything over and into context in a serious manner. And, you know, we talked about how he described that previous situation with Brian Blair, but he goes into more detail, and then he starts planting seeds. Maybe Roop wants them to kill each other and then he'll jump in and take over. I mean, it's, he's so good on commentary. You have to listen to everything he's saying. That Roop line, as we move forward, and that one was the one that I'm like, ooh, you know, like rehearing that or re-remembering it, however you want to phrase it. I'm like, wow. And then he starts talking about the North American title being at risk because of the counter, he just said so much there that really made a lot of sense that it was really a treat to hear that while Mike Boyer and Ted DiBiase are wrestling. Because the thing is, you got to figure, this isn't going to be a five-star match. You're not sitting there wanting to hear Watts describe hole for hole what Ted DiBiase and Mike Boyer are doing. So what he does is he describes very, very well man, Roop may be involved in this. What's going on with that? Not only that, but the North American title may be at risk now that there's a counter. It's just so well put together in that you know, roughly two-minute soundbite during this match that it was just nice. It was it just, it, that's, you know, that's, what, that's what good commentary sounds like. He doesn't have to be perfect, but he told a nice story there and he wrapped it up well for us to this point. There was another little line that we played earlier in the show where Watts, I think it may have been during the opening match, is just talking about different things. And I think I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but he says, and Bob Roop's a hell of an athlete. He's also an opportunist. He just drops that. And 
again, they're, they're, they're planting seeds. They're making little comments, little thoughts that they're putting into the commentary that they want you to take away. Now, this Ernie Ladd thing's fascinating for a couple of reasons. One is, Watts transitions to that seamlessly. He knows every single point he wants to get across on this show. And that's why Boyd knows not to jump in, because Watts goes right from the DiBiase thing to Ernie Ladd and the Samoans, but maybe there's an issue. Maybe, unlike their previous run here, where Ernie Ladd was their manager, there may be something there. Not that he's saying that there may be, but we don't know. We don't know if Ernie Ladd's still aligned with them. We'll see. So they're planting another seed right away, right there. Yeah, and see, like, it's, you know, I, I don't want to say anything that's coming, but it's it's remarkable when you know what's coming to hear what he said right here. Would you agree with that? If you know what's coming, you realize how cool it is that all these weeks ahead of time, he makes this comment. Because right. It's not, yeah. it's not like they're playing after anything. I don't want, again, I don't want to play spoiler. It's ridiculous. But after whatever's coming happens. It's not like they're going back to this audio and playing it like on TV. Like, remember, Bill Watts said this on the December 25th episode of Mid-South Wrestling. Right. That's what I mean. That's exactly what I mean. But it's just remarkable how he he pieced that whole thing together right there, knowing what you and I know as to what's coming is what I should say. It's a it's just it was just really good stuff. And, and, you know, another reason why you you, you really like Mid-South Wrestling. Absolutely. And Ted DiBiase wins with the figure four naturally. And they do make another comment we don't see. But Bob Roop and Bob Orton Jr., they say, are watching from the balcony. Of course, they're in the next match. But again, an interesting little thing to think about is DiBiase's work in this match against Mike Boyer. And he's being watched by these guys. One of them's determined to beat him. And the other one, Bob Orton Jr., is clearly aligned with him. Yeah. Just again, I can't add anything to that. Just. Just, I guess there's seeds there, and that's, that's how we'll say it. Well, the next match, Mike, is another barn burner. It's <laughs> Bob Roop and Bob Orton Jr., who's the Mississippi State champion, against Mike Bond and Frank Monty. I do not have too much to say about this other than Orton pins Mike Bond after a pile driver. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, there was a nice little deal in the beginning with Frank Monty with the two head scissors takeovers, and then, you know, Roop powders to the corner for the tag on Orton, but... Eh, hard hitting a little bit, but you're right. Not much there. Orton Jr. delivers a, a pile driver to Bond, and uh, the team of Roop and Orton Jr. get the win. And uh, that's all I had. I didn't even have any notes as far as the commentary there. It was pretty darn quick. Our next match on the show is Ed Wiskowski, the Polish Prince, once again, against Tom Ernesto Jr., the winner of the 1981 Ron Jeremy Lookalike Contest. <laughs> um, this was a... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Brian. No, no, no. Please, please. <laughs> well, this was a beatdown from the minute it started for one. But then Watts is on commentary again here, and he says something here that I I just love. And uh, I'm thinking you and I are on the same page here. He starts talking about the referee. If you need a referee to save you, then you shouldn't be in the ring. But it's just the delivery of it. I, I, Watts again, gold here, right? Gold here, uh, what you're talking about is actually him referencing the previous match with Roop and Orton defeating Mike Bond and Frank Monty. So let's go to this audio right now. Again, Bill Watts just on fire. I know how upset the fans are, and they try to blame the referee for the tag situation that went on before us. But everything that Roop and Orton did was well, as you said, within the limit. It was, it was skimming the limit of the rule book, but it was legal, and the referee was helpless. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, you get in that ring, and you got to have that referee to bail you out, you don't have any business in that ring. I mean, you know, there's a lot of times and a lot of matches I've been in where I thought I got maybe a raw deal by a referee, but if I sat down and started blaming my losses on the referee, then I should blame my wins on him, too. And that would certainly have show that I didn't have any ability and didn't belong out there. So I always just took it with a grain of salt and said, hey, that's the business you're competing in. It's a professional sport. They're not always going to make the calls that make you happy. And you better not get sad or get your dauber down over it. You better get out there and battle because it, you've got to win it yourself. So you lose it yourself. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's just philosophy in the middle of the wrestling show. Wow. It's so unique because you don't hear anyone explain anything like that. Look, modern wrestling, WWE, Impact, every organization, no one is out there 
who seems authoritative. I'm not saying an authority figure, but someone who seems authoritative, someone who seems very firm in, you know, defending the truth. You know, the, whatever you think of Bill Watts, that was his character. Bill Watts's character was a man of character, uh, you know, a cowboy who would, you know, defend right and might. And he's just, he's explaining something logically that just makes you think. It's, it's really incredible to think this is the end of 81 and there were things weren't always wrapped up nice and tight in the territories. Would you agree with that? I mean, we, we watch, we remember the territories well, but I mean, I can go back and watch some things in territory wrestling and, and go, you know what? That wasn't really the way I remembered it. But when you look at this, this this holds up today. The way he described that, you know, if you need a referee to save you, then you just shouldn't be in there. And that's Bill Watts. You know what? The, the funny part about that too is that's not only that's not only true, but that's how Watts really feels. The, you know what I mean, Brian? He was somebody where, like, one man gang told me one time, "You work for Bill Watts. If you died in a car accident, you better get somebody to roll you to the ring that night so that he can get the one, two, three on you. You better show up." You don't need a referee to save you. It's just it. This is not only true. It's Bill Watts. This is Bill Watts being Bill Watts. It's not an act. Would you agree with that? No, that's that's him. And yeah, again, it, it changes everything because you have a one hour show, you know, 40 something minutes with commercials where right. the commentator is explaining everything to you. There's no insulting the audience. There's no talking down to the audience. If anything, he's talking up to the audience. Yeah, and he is. He he just explains every every single thing makes sense. It's like he spends an hour on the show explaining why every single thing is happening, what every possible result is, why you may be asking yourself questions about one thing or another. It's amazing commentary. And, you know, Jim Ross at his peak, Jim Ross was trained by Bill Watts. I mean, th there's a reason why, you know, when he was at his best, he remembered a lot of the small little details to throw in there. That's Bill Watts. That's Bill Watts and his style. And I wish more people had it. The only other person I ever saw able to do what Bill Watts did in Mid-South, and it's different, but similar, is Jim Cornette in OVW. And a similar situation, you know, was his company. He knew what his storylines were. He knew where he wanted things to go. He knew how he had to explain things so that you couldn't punch holes in the logic. And that's what Bill Watts did on Mid-South, and it, it's a master class. If you're in wrestling school, you might as well just give every episode of Mid-South with Bill Watts on commentary to a wrestling student just so you can understand how things are supposed to make sense, why they make sense, and how to explain why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, and the, the, other, the only thing I'll add to that is, as I watch rewatch this episode, it's this was actually to one of the best probably ones that Watts did as far as on commentary, because if you're noticing in almost every single match and segment, he's adding, he's not missing anything. So even matches like this with Ed Wiskowski versus Tom Ernesto Jr., he's hitting on something that's important. And he's doing it again. He did it in Mike Boyer versus Teddy DiBiase. He did it there. Every single match, even if it was a match that didn't have much going on early on with Jerry Novak and Rick Ferrara versus Mike George and Carlos Zapata, he's hitting on something in every single match and segment, even if the match and segment made no sense. I'm not trying to you know, bag on the WWE right now, but they just do not do that. You watch a three-hour Raw, and there is multiple segments each and every week, 52 weeks a year, that are pointless and that commentary doesn't do anything for. Um, it's just my my opinion. And that's I say that to say Watts in this one-hour television show did not allow that to happen. Every single segment, there was something important that he would say that would draw you in and tie tie things together for you, if that makes sense, Brian. It makes sense. And, you know, one of the things that wrestling doesn't have anymore is that great explainer. On TV, everyone did it differently. Lance Russell explained things. I mean, Jerry Lawler explained things. Yeah, uh, in Florida, Gordon Soley explained things, and in Georgia too. And that's what Bill Watts did better than probably anyone. It's different. It's different than what they were doing in Memphis. But Bill Watts explained. There was no again. You couldn't punch any holes in his the logic of his wrestling show because he actually gonna, sat down and thought about it. Yeah, and I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you another one. Everybody's gonna go. Oh, of course, Mike, you'll say this. Smoky Mountain. I, I got to tell you, Dutch and Bob Cottle were similar. And guess what? Well, the thing with that was 
I mean, Jim worked for Watts for all those, you know, for for a while. I say all right. those years because his run with Mid South wasn't that long. I mean, it was long enough. You you get what I'm saying? And and I, I can I can tell you as I watch Smoky Mountain, you see traces of Mid South throughout it. Not only from what Jim Jim will tell you, like Bullet Bob was his Cowboy Bill Watts. I mean, that's well known. But just in commentary, you listen to you listen to Dutch and Bob Cottle interact early Smoky Mountain. It's it's got traces of Mid South wrestling and Bill Watts in it. Just the interaction and making things important and talking about things that are going on, even in uneventful matches, they make eventful comments and things that tie everything together. And that's what you see here. So I know we're going on about it, but it's it's kind of hard not to bring that to everyone's attention as they listen to this episode and watch it back with us. You know, Bill Watts was someone who employed Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette saw the way he did TVs, the way he explained things. You know, in his Midnight Express scrapbook, there's one of the memos, handwritten, that Watts put out there explaining how to do local promos to put over stipulation matches. And it's genius, because it actually explains why you do each thing, and it's little details like that you don't see anymore. Jim Cornette picked up on it, and for everyone that says, oh, well, WCW in 92 didn't have it, there's a lot of different issues there, but one of the things that I'd always heard was Watts never actually sat down and wrote any of the TV in 92 and WCW. We know he did for a little bit in 95 with the WWF. And the story always was that Vince McMahon pulled over his limo to give Watts a hug and say, he's never seen a TV run that smoothly. And of course, Watts was out of there a few weeks later. After, you know, a few <laughs> issues, but uh, let's, uh, let's move forward. The interesting thing about this Ed Wiskowski, Renesto Jr. Match Wiskowski wins with his patented side backbreaker. And yep. the match starts with very little time remaining in the show. Yet we have another yeah. match, and yeah, that is yeah. the Iron Sheik versus Don Serrano. And important to note here, and it'll be referenced by the good cowboy shortly, we've mentioned that the bleachers were empty throughout this taping and the previous episode from the same taping. It's really empty now. Now, this, is, a, this is clearly yeah. the end of the taping. It, there's a giant hole in the middle of the bleachers. The front row's still there, and there's a few loose people here and there. <laughs> but the audience is gone. I mean, the audience has left the television taping. This was, uh, this, this, the crowd looked like the crowd at the end of a 1981 New Orleans Saints game. And for anyone on the Gulf Coast that grew up uh, in New Orleans or the surrounding area, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> it was sparse and there was no one there. It was very, very empty. And, uh, and, uh, well, Bill Watts figured, okay, he must have noticed this was happening from maybe not even just this taping, but previous tapings, and was like, you know what, I'm gonna fix this problem going forward. And I think that's what we're what we're gonna see here is Reeser Bowden can't even get Serrano introduced when uh, she, the Iron Sheik attacks Serrano, and then uh, we have some things go down. What, what, what do you have, Brian? You agree? Well, we'll play some audio in a second, but again. We've been building up Bill Watts. Here's the challenge. All right, cowboy, your audience is gone. Explain right. that. And he takes that challenge and he hits it out of the ballpark. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll play this audio right now again. It's the Iron Sheik versus Don Serrano. Uh, the Sheik attacks Serrano before the bell. Reeser Bowden casually just walks as slow as possible out of the ring. And then uh, you'll hear a run in. You'll hear all the details. I don't have to say too much. Let's go to this audio right now. This event is for one fall or remaining television time. In the red corner at 260 pounds from Tehran, Iran, the Iron Sheik. Now for due to call for the bell, the introduction not finished. Don Serrano, the Iron Sheik. Billy never got the introduction. Yeah, I don't know why I ever did it. Call for the bell because there was never an announcement finished. The Sheik just going out. I guess he really feels confident after the way he treated Paul Ellering. And he's blasting Don Serrano. Throwing him out. That's precious Paul Ellering. Precious Paul Ellering is going to do a little addition out. But he was on the receiving end, and Akbar is a little bit upset. I'm sure Ellering doesn't care whether there's a disqualification or what. It's just what, don't get mad, get even. Akbar is a whole lot upset. There went the turban. He's moving. Precious Paul Ellering, he's coming to dish it out. He says if they can pearl over him, and the, the 
crowd who was kind of thinning out because they didn't think Don Serrano had much of a chance. The ones that stayed got an unexpected treat. Kind of like people filing out in a football game and then it turning around and you're wondering in the parking lot why all the reaction. There's one many, minute of airtime left and Paul Ellering is really pounding it. Referee should make the disqualification off this. Akbar's pulling his man out of there. Akbar's driven the Sheik out. He's pulled the Sheik out and they've turned tail and they've run, Boyd Pierce. Leaving Ellering in the ring. Now, ladies and gentlemen, remember next week the special 1981 highlight show. And in two weeks, eighth one of the world, Andre the Giant, plus the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. And we'll find out whether Oppen Seek and the Samoan Warriors will return after the suspension. If they do, will Ernie Ladd be their manager? We'll find out in two weeks. Till then, Boyd Pierce for our guest commentator, Bill Watson. Goodbye, everybody, for Mid-South Wrestling. Well, there it is, Mike. So much going on in a very short period of time. Not even talking about what Boyd said here at the end, but Watts explaining why the crowd has left is amazing. Yeah, I'm telling you, man, I swear he must have been watching Saints games back then. And like, you know, I don't know. He, I know he was in Oklahoma, but yeah, I, I, he had to be like that. That had to be where he got that reference from. I can remember as a kid, the Saints were terrible in 81 and and it just. Yeah, I mean, well, they were terrible their first 20 years of existence, but the crowds are real thin, but something happens, and it looks like, oh, wait, the home team may be getting back into this thing, and they're filing in. He draws that home and relates it to another sport in the exact same way, and it was true. I mean, the stuff hit the fan, and Ellering is attacking the Sheik, or I shouldn't say attacking, but he's getting the Sheik back, and oh, my God, the people are running back in, and, and they're going crazy. It's like a football game. I mean, it was just beautiful. I love this. And you're right, and then Boyd Pierce closes things out. But, I mean, you realize from the time you played that audio, I mean, there was literally not even two minutes left. Not even a minute. Show. He played – he That's said true. that within the last minute of the show. Right, right. So it just – it literally they used every bit of TV time minus commercials. To 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 have some fun there with some wrestling and 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 close out. I don't say close out, but finish off or cap off what we've seen in the last two weeks with this whole or three weeks with the Ellerine and and Iron Sheik Persian Club Challenge. And of course, the one tease there at the very end, the very end was Boyd Pierce yes. mentioning the Samoans. Their suspensions up. Will they return? And question two: Will Ernie Ladd still be with them? So they're already starting to build that up a little further than what we heard earlier in the show. And let me add, I'm six years old at this time. When I hear Andre the Giant and Dusty Rhodes are going to be on my TV in two weeks, I'm like, holy crap. uh, Mama, uh, in two weeks from now, I know sometimes you like to go to the grocery store on Saturday afternoons, but... We can't go anywhere in two weeks. I got to be in front of this TV at five o'clock in New Orleans on Channel 26 to see Andre and Dusty Rhodes on free TV. It is amazing that Dusty, like Andre at this point, was a guy who was such a big star. He could just drop in anywhere and he's instantly that attraction. He could do it in Mid-South. He could do it in Georgia. He could do it in Mid-Atlantic. He could do it in Houston. He could do it pretty much anywhere. WWF, of course, you know, you can go into the garden and instantly get one of the biggest pops of the night. Dusty was that biggest star. And of course, he'll be with us in two weeks after the year in review episode for 1981, which was the next episode of Mid-South Wrestling uh, that aired. But Mike, I guess we're putting this show to bed. One other note I want to mention, no JYD, no entrance music. No one had any music on this show. Nice observation. That's true. Not one person had music. And uh, Mid-South Wrestling without another one bites the dust is, is a little strange. I will say that during this time period. Well, another episode bites the dust, Mike. <laughs> and that means we're done. Of course, you can listen to me each and every week on the 605 Super Podcast, available at 605pod.com, iTunes Podcast Addict, and everywhere else. You can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. And you can follow the 605 Super Podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash super podcast.
And you can hear me twice a week at tinyurl.com slash bttpod, or just search Booking the Territory, wherever you get your podcast from. Two shows a week, one of them covering mostly the NWA, along with a host of other topics, and Smoky Mountain Wrestling, the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Review podcast that I do with my co-host, Doc Turner and Hardbody Hopper. It's a fun time. We have a lot of fun. You heard me reference Smoky Mountain earlier. Come join us again. That show drops every Sunday night, 7 p.m. Central Time. The NWA show drops every single Thursday night, 7 p.m. Central Time. You can follow us on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash booking the territory or like us on Facebook. And then follow us on Twitter. I'm at Mike504Saints and I'm also at BTT underscore podcast. Brian, this episode was a lot of fun. A lot went down. Maybe our funnest yet. I don't know. What do you think? I think it could be. I think as Mid-South Wrestling starting to pick up, so is this show. So I'm ready for 1982. How about you? I am too, man. Let's do this thing. 82 comes on in nice and strong and uh, full steam ahead. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to next week's show. Thank you to everyone who's been listening. If you enjoy this show, please consider going to iTunes and leaving a five-star review and a positive rating. It really helps this show out. We want to keep delivering great content to you. So doing that really helps. Of course, this show is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And for Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho!